1: Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, March 24th, 2022. This is episode number 200. 143. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, the author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 28,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about a 70-year-old grandmother arrested in Thailand for one plant, the benefits of snorting cannabis, Japan sees a record number of cannabis offenders. Zebra's first mover advantage in Mexico, a Latin-owned brand creating a culturally authentic brand, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: The following program contains coarse language and nudity viewer discretion is advised.
1: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant or you might get the gong. Kicking off today's show is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico?
3: Oh Yeah, my story's coming out of cannabis now. The benefits of snorting cannabis. History credits the ancient Chinese with creating the first cannabis consumption methods. It's believed that they were the first to record using the plant as a regular part of their diet through teas and elixirs. Personally, I prefer smoking. Many friends and colleagues enjoy edibles, dabbing various extracts, and vaping. Last year, we extensively covered Cannabumps, a controversial new product created by THC Living that was short-lived in availability due to its resemblance to cocaine. Could re- recent studies exonerate the powdery substance with a prescribed nasal des- delivery of sins committed against the high court of public opinion? Let's take another look. 2021, Cannabumps arrived on the scene, encouraging folks to snort their fine, white, crystallized, high-potency THC powder after removing from its clear of uh, glass vial packaging by using a miniature spoon. The industry collectively clutched their pearls and gasped. Not on our wa- Not on our watch, we all said. We didn't legalize cannabis for this. Per the article last May, Leafly's Bruce uh, Barcott wrote a scathing piece condemning Cannabumps. Products like Cannabumps don't merely offend the good taste of consumers and colleagues in the cannabis industry. They do real harm. They help keep it illegal for hundreds of millions of Americans. They hurt medical marijuana patients and cannabis consumers across the nation. Pretty much everyone agreed, including many on our show. The product was pulled off weed maps before I got a chance to review it, but I did have a peculiar conversation with fellow doctors who sit on a nonprofit board with me. One of them said, it may be taboo to fight that particular battle at the moment, but snorting may be one of the best uh, medicinal delivery methods. We had a good laugh about it and pretty much forgot the conversation altogether. Well, apparently, a recently published study by the National Institute of Health revealed Cannabumps was right. Snorting weeds most, uh, are more scientifically sound than most consumption methods healthier than vaping and smoking more efficient than eating and drinking the thc is absorbed and delivered into the body's cb receptors in a shorter amount of time and when you smoke or vape uh, cannabinoids are burned away and lost upon uh, combustion tar and carcinogens are inhaled into the lungs edibles are healthier but can take hours to feel effects sure suppositories were previous champion of healthiest and more medicinal method of consumption, particularly for patients with extreme nausea uh, or breathing issues. But let's face it, to most consumers of legal age, shoving weed up your ass publicly is taboo and privately the least practical method of getting high. The article goes on to list two other recent studies revealing the same. Nasal inhalation is the best. So maybe you should think twice before judging the guy at the party in the bathroom stall ahead of you who forgot to lock the door you witnessed chopping up and ripping fat lines off the top of the toilet. He's medicating in a healthier, more efficient manner than you and your smelly, low-grade friends. He should be heralded as the futuristic hero that he is. As somebody who admittedly took the whole Cannabump saga in jest, choosing to joke about it rather than digging deeper into the science, I'd like to offer a... All the Cannabumps fans, fiends, and THC Living, the company responsible for its genius, a sincere apology. Hashtag free Cannabumps. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's in your plastic baggie, Susan Soris?
1: What did you say? We're smelly, low-class friends?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you said? Come on what's that smell? Do we have any of our doctors here on the piano who can actually attest to this, these findings? I'm wondering, is it because it goes in through the mucosal that it might be more effective and faster?
5: Uh, yeah, well, intranasal is, there are many medicines that are, that are delivered through the nose, you know, flonase, uh, the allergy medicine, uh, and because it's right into the bloodstream, it's more rapid onset, uh, so as long as it doesn't destroy the nasal mucosa, I, cocaine has a vasoconstrictive; it, it, it tightens your blood vessels, so it, that destroys the nasal mucosa. Um, but uh, but THC doesn't, so it's definitely a possibility. I don't know about snorting off of a toilet seat, though. I, I don't think that's a good way to go.
6: I think we need more research Because I think like yeah we would like it to be good But then it's like it's a white powder How easily is that to be mixed with something else
0: All I'm going to tell you is When you do canna bumps make sure you Feel the burn
3: (laughs) I think uh, maybe uh, Bernie Sanders 2024 campaign Should be passing out Little plastic baggies of Canna bumps for everybody Dude that would
7: be fucking classic if you did that Hey, so I guess it's not incorrect now to call weed dope. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
7: yes, indeed. And I I just I, I always
0: question anything going up the nose just my personal personal
8: opinion. I'm with you. Yeah, we'll say I will say Rico that, you know, with the, um, consumption through, uh, beverages is much better now because they have this sort of incorporating water soluble nanotech. So they're, you know, it's much faster now um, than an edible. So that beverage scene has really changed with, um, those new developments.
0: And and Rico, they may be onto something because, uh, with this product, just to the fact I do know, uh, my buddy Bishop Don Magic Juan, he only smokes his blunts out of his nostrils. Now he never puts them to his lips, just straight out of his nostrils.
1: Interesting. Let's let's keep snorting the news.
3: <laughs> if you got him, snort him. All right. So coming to the stage next is a true Renaissance woman, known for bringing the data and not the drama. An educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. Up next. Liz Rogan. What you got for us today, Liz?
6: Thank you, Rico. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. My story is a great follow-up to Rico's here. So it comes from the Jerusalem Post by Walla. The headline reads, What are the Negative Effects of Smoking Cannabis Study? So that this headline focuses on a recent study published in the journal Drug and Alcohol Dependence on Smoking Cannabis and the Acceleration of Biological Aging Processes. The study itself is entitled Lifetime Cannabis Use and Epigenic Age Acceleration, a 17-Year Prospective Examination by J. Allen et al. We know that in addition to our chronological age in years, months, or days, however you measure that, environmental factors also play an important role in determining the role of aging. Researchers look at patterns of DNA methylation called epigenic clocks in order to determine a person's biological age. So this study sought to address the correlation between lifetime levels of cannabis use and epigenetic aging, asking if cannabis use can increase the rate of aging. This longitudinal study followed 154 participants starting at age 13 to age 30. They took annual qualitative assessments of cannabis use and qualitative blood samples including history of cigarette smoking, anxiety, depressive symptoms, childhood illness, gender, adolescent-era family income, and racial and ethnic minority status. The findings of the study showed that a clear correlation existed between cannabis smoking and accelerated epigenetic aging, with heavier users displaying the greatest quickening of their biological clock. Long-term cannabis use predicted accelerated epigenetic aging, even after they accounted for physical, demographical age factors and cigarette smoking. So the author said there was a dose-effect relation observed, such that just within the population of cannabis users, Higher levels of lifetime use were linked to greater age acceleration. They noted that the links to epigenic aging were dependent upon the recency of cannabis use, and more recent use was strongly linked to age acceleration, with this effect fading for use in the more distant past. The evidence suggests that the effects may primarily be due to hydrocarbon inhalation among cannabis smokers. Follow-up analysis included that the overall increase in epigenic aging in the cannabis users was correlated with changes within the AHRR, hydrocarbon receptor repressor gene, showing genetic changes similar to this gene have previously been linked to cigarette smoking or exposure to air pollution. So these genetic changes are similar to cigarettes. So the more use is more aging. Reduction can stop or help reverse these changes. So these findings are consistent with and though cannot conclusively establish a causal role of cannabis use in epigenetic aging, conclude the researchers. But further research is warranted to explore these mechanisms underlying this correlation. So it sounds like maybe you should be um, snorting it instead of um, smoking it, but I would argue that vaporization, vaporization or using a tincture orally uh, sublingually or buccally is much more effective. So I would love to leave some time here for everyone to comment on this. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the state of cannabis news hour.
3: I say, man, (laughs) if you got them, snort them.
9: That's a really fascinating, um, story that you covered, Liz. I feel also that, um, there are, uh, a lot of, um, Properties about cannabis that kind of reverse aging as well. I know that they've done studies with some of the uh, uh, components um, that cannabis actually helps with anti-aging. So um, maybe is it just the con- like the burning of like the plant material when you smoke?
5: Yeah, obviously the uh, you know inhaling ash is probably common sense, not a good idea. But I always like to point to. George Burns, you know, that comedian that smokes cigars, played God, John Denver. I don't know if I'm telling my age. And uh, lived until he was older than 100. It's hard to do these aging studies. Um, also, if you look at the picture, it, it shows a spliff, you know, mixture of cannabis and tobacco. I don't know if, I know they they, they checked for cigarette smoking, but did they ask whether people were smoking splish or not, which people tend to do out in Europe and and Israel?
6: The study itself was actually done um, on people in a southeastern uh, United States small city. They did not name it, but um, Ah. I do agree with you in that picture. And I think we all know that a lot of the carcinogens from smoking sometimes are bad, but I think that's a great point, Priscilla. I think the application is really important on how we use cannabis, Really appreciate your guys' feedback on this. Thanks so much.
0: There's nothing better than just smoking weed, for the record.
1: I agree. Agreed. I second that.
0: I third, fourth.
1: Same. <laughs> Wait, what about bong hits? I feel like you're smoking through water.
0: Bong hits is, is smoking weed.
1: Well, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> let's keep snorting the news.
3: <laughs> let's. All right, so up next... He's the uh, cannabis industry's longest continuous-running retailer and also the holder of uh, three PhDs with the Z on his Wikipedia page in Bros. Science. He's the industry's Kaiser Bros. Known for wearing mink coats, private jet-hopping, lib-triggering, and smoking the world's best weed on a daily basis. Coming to the stage next, Jason Beck. What you got for us, my man?
0: Oh, yeah, Rico. Happy Thursday, everybody. That's right. We all made it over hump day. And so here we go. My story comes out of New York, where a Rochester mayor eyes a neighborhood impact of legalizing cannabis. When Rochester first legalized marijuana dispensaries to open, possibly not until 2023, the rollout must be orderly, not clustered along thoroughfares, but done with some style. Those are Mayor Malik Evans' words during a Wednesday briefing with reporters. He provided a broad strokes vision for how the how the city might regulate the time, place and manner of how businesses operate in the budding industry. That will be a very important piece of the conversation. You know, we will allow these places to operate, Evan said. Do I want six marijuana dispensaries on Genesee Street? The mayor continued. If you ask me that, the answer is no, I don't. An initial public information session is set for the 6 6 p.m. April 14th with more details still to come, and most municipalities in Monroe County opted out of all cannabis sales in their jurisdictions statewide. However, just one of just one in 10 cities and a third of towns and villages chose not to participate according to state regulators. The challenge comes in ensuring that taxes generated by the legalized market benefit those communities most harmed by a disappropriate number of marijuana-related arrests in the past, and that the individuals most impacted have access to and can participate in the businesses uh, businesses and startups, but that the affected neighborhoods are not then saturated with dispensaries and lounges. We in the African-American community already have enough pawn shops, liquor stores, and check cashing places, Evan said, so you know we have... We have to have that conversation, right? We've gotten a lot of that stuff already. Neighbors also want grocery stores, banks, bakeries. He said, we'll have to thread that needle there. Evans left the possibility of outlets locating along the commercial corridors while leaning into more industrial areas as potential locations. About one thing, one one thing about Rochester is we have a lot of great space, Evans said, and we have a lot of empty space. So how can we make sure that we put it in places where it fits in the character of the place that we're putting it in, City Council President Miguel Melendez, re- referencing the mayor's remarks, said he wouldn't want to see a dis- disappropriate number of shops on Genesee Street and none on Monroe Avenue or Park Avenue. I don't know how we regulate that, he admitted, but I don't want to do something that will overregulate the industry as it starts up. City lawyers are consulting with officials in Massachusetts, Colorado, and get this, the fucking city of Los Angeles, about lessons learned when marijuana was legalized in their localities. Issues vary based on whether it's a growing operation, processing center, retail dispensary, or consumption lounge, officials said. A process center can generate noxious odors, while dispensaries and lounges generate traffic and security concerns. Already, storefronts have sprung up. With opportunists trying to get a jump on the market by operating as unlicensed de facto dispensaries, gifting a baggie of marijuana with the purchase of a significantly overpriced item like a T-shirt, the city is considering legislation that would crack down on such operations. Well, I'll tell you what, city... I don't understand how you're going to crack down on this when the when the state is telling you that you can't, and not to mention in a lot of these statements that I hear from your mayor, I hear a lot of NIMBYism in his statements, and uh, that shit needs to go out the fucking window, and this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
1: And for those of you that are not aware, NIMBY is not in my backyard.
0: Right. This is, yeah, this is very,
3: very peculiar because Rochester was uh, coming out <clears throat> last year as um, um, possibly being uh, New York's capital for events as well interesting to see how this plays out i thought they were very uh, cannabis
0: friendly
6: don't they have to put into their licensing about you know neighborhood impacts and and all those other things because we have to do that pretty seriously in california
0: yeah i don't i don't know about any of that as far as what their processes be but i will say this i hear a lot of nimbyism um and, and when, they, when they talk about dispensaries uh causing crime and whatnot, there is no actual study that shows that uh, dispensaries in a neighborhood cause more crime. There's actually studies that show that it actually decreases in crime due to high security presence.
3: Very interesting. Down with the nimbyism, down with the nimbies all day. All right. So come to the stage next. She's the CEO of award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ BizCon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and universally recognized as one of the dopest mamas on the planet. Y'all know who it is? Priscilla Agoncillo. What you got for us today, P?
9: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Rico. So my story is covering Japan. Uh, The title is Japan Sees a Record 5,400 cannabis offenders in 2021. Uh, exact number is 5,482 um, people who were involved in cannabis cases in Japan last year. This was up uh, from 440. This is up 448 cases from the previous year and rising for the eighth consecutive year. Uh, the abuse of the drug. The drug uh, is seen mostly among young people. Uh, so um, I'm reading some of the uh, the facts from the study. Uh, offenders aged. In their 20s or below accounted for about 70% of the total, with 2,823 individuals in their 20s and 994 um, aged under 20, according to the National Police Agency data. 186 were high school students and eight were junior high students, with the youngest individuals aged at 14. So they surveyed um, 829 uh, drug offenders of all different ages, and the agency found that more than 70% believe that. The the drug did not pose any harm or was not harmful in any way. Those in their 20s or below obtained information about where to get the cannabis through the internet. Cannabis offenders investigated in the country, uh, there were about 4,537 cases of possession, 273 of supply, and 230 of cultivation. In 2021, the police seized a whopping 329.7 kilograms of cannabis. Um, I say to the Japanese authorities, you know let people fucking live. I mean, cannabis is amazing. We have so many studies to prove a lot of its medical benefits. It's really about time that Japan gets their medical program up and going. A lot of, uh, I've covered articles in the past about um, patients from Japan that are needing it for seizures. I know that they are Making some headway in the medical cannabis movement, but it's nearly—it's not nearly where it needs to be. And um, as you can see, this is what uh, people are demanding there with the rise in cannabis cases. Um, another good uh, point that this article pointed out was that the there are other drugs like amfet- methamphetamines and amphetamines were actually going down the use of that so, or or those uh, types of stimulant drugs. So um, Japanese authorities let people live get your medical program together and uh, it's time that we see some amazing cultivation come out of Japan. This is Priscilla reporting for the state of cannabis news hour.
1: We have listeners on the podcast from Japan and I just want to encourage you. If you're listening to the podcast, please join us for the live show on clubhouse.
3: Yeah. Rotary phones.
0: Rotary
1: phones it's an best. iPhone. Stop.
0: Rotary phones are still
6: the best.
1: Who has one?
6: My grandma that's... did. <laughs> Fuck you, Jason. My that, kid, that a my kid has a Fisher-Price
9: <laughs> one that like, you can tug around and the eyes move.
0: Oh, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs>
3: what
4: time is it in Japan? I mean, is that why these guys are not tuning it's in? It's time
0: to
3: legalize. That's what time it is. Yes. yes. Is I it, don't like, know. Is
4: it the middle of the night?
1: Probably, but um, they are listening to the podcast, so that's Awesome.
3: I really do hope that they get the uh, legalized pretty soon and they follow suit of um Thailand and uh, everybody else over there in um in, in Asia who is moving in the right direction
8: you know Japan is an amazing country um if you visited there you know it's it's um it, there's such a, a an emphasis of societal control though it's it, and it's very it fun, it's a really high functioning society but there's also this really um big appetite by the government to control and 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 deeper like societal structures so i think there's some cultural elements they're navigating but hopefully they get through that pretty quickly
0: it is 124 or 125 in the morning in japan right now
1: okay that's rough but they can stay up come on over japan we want to hear from you maybe they're sleeping
6: because they finally got some cannabis medicine
0: Maybe I know Japan has a really, really thriving illicit market. I know prices are insanely high, like through the roof out there.
3: Shout out to Japan, the, the Japanese exactly
0: tra- the trappers they love
3: Cali weed. Yes, yeah, so is, is it the closest? <laughs> it'd Be like, like are we like a pretty close to like, like Japan? What I know, once you get to uh, Hawaii, sixteen hour, whole fl- lot sixteen
8: hour flight. Yeah, you call it.
1: They're gonna get it from Guam.
8: They are not yeah,
3: gonna get here. Guam Guam cut it out! <laughs> All right, we're at the end of uh, time for that story. Up next, he's the founder of Medican and co-founder of the CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization, and also a cannabis OG, compassionately representing the people. Coming to the stage is Jean Talleyrand. What you got for us today, my man? Thanks, Rico. Uh, so this is the backstory to the recent
5: research on cannabis and COVID. The headline is Richard Van Breemen tells us about his latest research showing that CBDA and CBGA are effective cell entry inhibitors of SARS-CoV-2. Lauren Robertson of Cannabis Scientists interviewed Dr. Richard Van Breemen about his research on cannabinoids and their ability to block cell entry of SARS-CoV-2. It's been amazing, says Dr. Van Bremen. All these years we've been doing research, but very rarely does a project catch on so globally. He boasts, we are currently on 402,000 views for the paper. As you might imagine, people were excited, very excited, as Robertson writes. In fact, you may recall reading headlines that claimed smoking weed stops COVID-19. These claims were outlandish but where there's smoke, there's fire, sometimes. Dr. Van Vreeman's research focused specifically on the role of cannabinoid acids, CBDA, CBGA, and THCA. These are ingredients found mostly in the raw plant, and though smoking the flour won't do much, dietary supplements like raw cannabis smoothies could be effective. Van Bremen's research team used a technique called affinity mass spectrometry to discover that the three cannabinoids inhibited the virus's spike protein. Then they combined CBDA and CBGA with the live virus and found that it blocked the infection of cells. Dr. Van Bremen has been interested in studying natural products as a source for drugs his entire career. He works at the Global Hemp Innovation Center at Oregon State University. He got the idea to study cannabis in COVID after noticing a pattern that the top 10 states with the lowest COVID death rates were all states that had legalized cannabis. His wife, an epidemiologist pointed out that this pattern had too many confounding variables and that he couldn't draw any conclusions with confidence. He also knew that studying COVID would keep his lab open during the pandemic. During this study, Dr. Breeman was surprised to find that, the, that only the three cannabinoids bound to the spike protein and that the decarboxylated CBD and CBG did not. He pointed it out that the lab could only get a small amount of THCA, not enough to do the live virus test. To get enough THCA, he would have to apply for a special license. Every successful experiment brings up new questions, says Dr. Van Bremen. There are so many experiments we'd love to do. We are only constrained by regulations and funding. I like this story because it reminds me that there is a lot more to cannabis than any of us might imagine, and that and that it's more than just smoking a good dupe. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand from the State of Cannabis News
3: Hour. Jason Beck, he gave me the world's greatest weed. Last year, and I never caught COVID. Just saying.
0: That's right. When you smoke the best weed, you don't have to worry about all that bullshit in the world. Remember,
5: you have to eat it, not smoke it. I ate it too.
0: I I only eat the best weed in the world when the police roll up behind me.
6: This is such a great story. I would love to see some real data looking at places where it's legalized and where people have access and what they're using and the COVID rates. I think this is great. Thanks for bringing this story up. Do
0: we know who paid for the research for this study?
5: Canna Bumps. (laughs) Global Hemp uh, Innovation. Is that the the group he's working for? Yeah, uh,
0: I'd say you can't necessarily trust any of the information in this study if it's paid for. Buy a hemp company. I, I don't trust it personally.
3: We've got what, my, a hemp company. What, it's,
0: what if it was coming from? Well, no, to, to, from to me, it's the same thing as like when, when Project Sam pays for a study to, to say why weed is bad. It's the same thing. Like These guys are paying to create a study to create a certain
7: narrative.
1: Okay. We've got Michael up from the audience. Michael, uh, did you want to weigh in on Jean's
7: headline? Hey, y'all, I just wanted to check in. Coming from Denver, Colorado, y'all know we got a lot of cannabis out here. But if you look at our COVID stats, something ain't adding up. Now, I haven't got COVID either, and I'm grateful for that. But as somebody in the industry, I'm hesitant to tell folks about this data. Smoke up, y'all. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we as industry leave. professionals should not be uh, per- reporting that, that that cannabis will stop you from getting COVID because that is just fake news.
4: All right, Jason. I don't know about your fake news, but I did work with um, a company that – a medical cannabis company that was looking at this as cannabis as a help for long-term – what is it called? Long-term COVID or whatever that thing is where you have the long-haul issues. I mean, there long-term. is – yeah, the long COVID. I mean, I, th- I I think you're unfair to just say because someone is a cannabis company that they're biased and they're not doing the correct research. I think I think this is definitely something that needs to be looked into further. And there have been uh, studies showing that cannabis has affected COVID. I mean, I, I think then, we then need then to let's, look then more then let's t- have
0: a major let's have a major university do do this type of a study instead of some 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 industry group paying to, to fund the study.
4: Uh,
5: Global Hemp Innovations is part of Oregon State University. They're, they're holding a cannabis science conference in, in the summer, uh, so maybe you can ask them uh, then. And also, the research was preclinical, it wasn't on humans, it was just in the lab, so there's a
8: big leap from the lab to humans. All right. Hopefully it will we'll get peer-reviewed. If it gets peer-reviewed, then other people can look at it and see what's there.
1: Okay. We are at the half-hour mark. Thank you so much, John, for that headline. Uh, we're going to relight this room.
0: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
2: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour; are those are the individual speakers, not those of any other speakers, State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice. And the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.
1: Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news.
3: Or snorting. This badass canna mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current ch- chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, founder of the San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, and the organic source of the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. Truly amazing. Up next is Lara DeCaro. What you got for us today, Lara?
2: Oh, I, I think you might have skipped a whole row of people, but um, you know, for the interest of time, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and take it unless someone wants to shut me down. Um, I have a, an article that actually follows really well on Priscilla's article because it's about a 70-year-old grandma in Isan, Thailand, who was arrested for growing one cannabis plant. It's out of Tiger. It's a publication online. Uh, apparently, this 70-year-old woman from Kane, which is one of the largest cities in the largest defined region of Thailand, spent a night in jail after she and her 48-year-old relative were arrested for, uh, apparently without a warrant, for growing one cannabis plant each. Um, apparently, they paid 10,000 baht, which is about 300 U.S. dollars each, to get out the next day. Um, this is all happening at the same time that the the Thai minister of public health has a medical cannabis conference currently touring the country and apparently teaching people how to actually grow at home, you know, but people still need to register, which is probably absolutely terrifying, I would think, to a woman who grew up in the era of Thai prohibition. Um, however, according to the article, they did plant in their front yard, so I'm not sure how intimidated she might actually be. Um, So the plants apparently matured to about 140 centimeters, which is around 55 inches tall, and weighing in at about 300 grams or about 10 and a half ounces each. Uh, Her son is apparently a lawyer, and when he asked uh, to speak to police about the possibility of bail, which she was entitled to, the police refused to talk to him, he said. So about 10 of her neighbor's have filed a complaint against the police there. Um, it should be noted, this region of Isan is an agricultural region. It's known for a more laid-back attitude. Uh, you know, this grandma was saying she boils the leaves to make her tea, which help with her ailment, whatever that is. Um, but this just sort of goes to show that even as public opinion is changing around cannabis, you know, as Priscilla so pointed out, you know, um, the the police are Deeply programmed against it, and um, you know uh, this. This one just sort of breaks your heart that a seventy-year-old woman would have to spend a night in a jail cell over one cannabis plant. My name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
1: And for your information, uh, ten thousand bot is equal to a little less than three hundred U.S. dollars. Right.
0: I mean, I mean, they're lucky that they actually got out and were able to bail themselves out. I mean, most people that get caught up in in those types of places never see the light of day.
2: Well, I don't know, because, I mean, you know, it's Thailand has changed their policy. So the fact that she was in that she was held, she was arrested without a warrant and then she was held overnight, denied bail to which she was apparently entitled. Um, I think that, you know, the, the culture is significantly shifting there. But this came out of like the largest region. Like, don't they have real stuff to do? And, one plant, one freaking plant.
0: And, and, <laughs> frickin plant. and, 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 and Laura, to, to to your point, I mean, I've watched shit tons of episodes of Locked Up Abroad, and I've seen what all these kangaroo courts across all these different
8: municipalities do uh, to international travelers when, they're,
0: when they got
2: drugs That's on true, them. That's true, true.
8: You know, the sad thing is, too, it's like, it's the same in Latin America. All these abuelas, you know, the grandmothers, they've been doing this forever, man. They make these poultices and topicals um, for their kids and grandkids. Um, so i'm I'm sure there's similar traditional medicine in Thailand. So, um, you know, Grandma was probably just doing something like that, and then she gets popped like it's it's absurd. so um yeah, these these people have to start respecting traditional cultures and and we just got to get just get through this. It's ridiculous. This whole story yeah. just makes me want to say free Brittany.
1: Yeah. if you're in Thailand and you know this grandma, reach out to us and we'll start a GoFundMe so we can get that. back in her pocket.
6: It really reminds us how we're all in this together and we need to support everyone, especially like you said, Eric, who are abuelitas and abuelas who are really using this for medicinal purposes and started this so long ago.
3: Free grandma.
9: Did they cut her plant down? Yeah, definitely free Brittany G. But did they cut her plant down? I mean, that's so fucking sad.
2: I think they might have have, because they weighed it, right? They gave the weight in the article
0: fuck yeah they cut
3: the plant down hell yeah they did that's what that's what they do all right we're at the time for that one (laughs) then coming to the stage next is a pot loving phd and a champion for common sense cannabis policy a real life alternative activist remains optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos coming to the stage manika mahajan what you got
10: good morning everybody thank you so much rico for the intro hello audience I am talking about a small town just north of San Diego today. And my story comes from Stephen Wire of The Coast News. Encinitas to pay cannabis consulting firm an additional $500,000. So Encinitas is a, a small coastal city with about 62,000 population. That's a little north of San Diego. And it will soon get four new retail stores. Proposition 64 got 65% support there. But the local measure that followed a few years later only succeeded with 51% of the vote. So there's some, there's some uh, dispute in within the local residents about a desire for cannabis locating there. Encinitas had a retail registration period from January 17th to February 18th. And staff expected about 25 applications, but instead got more than 200. Only four retailers will advance out of that 200-plus. And because of the stronger-than-expected enthusiasm for licensure, the Encinitas City Council voted to allocate an additional $470,250 in funding for HDL, which is a a company that uh, we've definitely talked about here on this show, and they have have assisted various cities with uh, – they get very different reviews on Yelp, let's say, uh, for the services that they provide to different cities – But they will be receiving a total contract of $568,900 in Encinitas. And according to planning manager Jennifer Gates in Encinitas, the city is getting an extra $1.3 million in revenues from that 200-plus retail registrations, which will more than cover the higher bill from HDL. The registration fee for each retailer to participate in this initial process was six thousand five hundred and twenty-eight. dollars and the four lottery winners that come out of this process will owe another 4000 or so in application fees. So if I'm doing the math correctly, uh, just in the retail registration fee, they're getting an extra $1.3 million um, and spending an extra $470,000, which means they have over a half a million dollars left over from those application fees for a very, very small number of spots. So the Coast article also quotes extensively from opponents' public testimony, so you can take a look at that um, if you're interested in in understanding what the local dynamics are there and some of their concerns. Concerns range from who will be liable, um, because the city and HDL have have removed themselves from that liability. The emission of biogenic, volatile, organic compounds came up, pesticides, mold exposure, transparency, and increasing the budget for HDL, and crime. So kind of some of the usual suspects and then also some new ones there. And one of the council members made the following comment that gives you a sense of, of the, the the appetite uh, among council members. There are lots of people in our community who that are not allowed, not at all inclined to have this type of activity in our city. But my response is that we didn't have any choice. And I'm quoting uh, council member. Councilman Kranz, uh, just to clarify, we have to implement the law. We're required to select up to four operators to open retail cannabis applications, so we're spending money on HDL to navigate this and analyze which of the applications meet the requirements of the law. Kranz went on to say that he didn't personally support Measure H because it places an administrative burden on the city and would create conflict in the community and cause a significant amount of um, staff time lost. So, uh, staff is, is reviewing the submittals and will have a lottery in the next couple of months to decide the four retail applicants that will move forward. This is very interesting because there will be, you know, 200 or so people who are extremely disappointed from paying their $6,500 and, and beginning this process uh, who will not be able to move on. But I'd love to hear from some of the, the other correspondents on the stage or the audience uh, to give a little bit more insight as to why the demand, uh, as to the demand for, uh, for these spots and any other local dynamics that you would love to share. I'm Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour.
3: HDL is getting money right now.
6: I think they're,
10: like, the only people who are making money in the
6: California cannabis industry at this point. <laughs> I just see money going to them from every board meeting everywhere I go. It's just sickening. What are they yeah, really Liz, doing?
1: Yeah, Liz or Medica, why don't you guys get a job with them and, and find out what's really going on? Because I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror or stop vomiting. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. Is that the opposite of getting a room, getting a job?
10: <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah. Interesting, interesting company, interesting structure. You know, I, I can't say that I'm aligned with that approach of sort of the taxation and the, and the fees funding the consulting company. Um, so that's probably the response for me. Laura, did
2: you want to have the last word? No, I hate HDL y'all know that they've just worked their way into every city and county and state of California, much like the Mika cities tried to do at the beginning of all this. Uh, and, and they're a force to be reckoned with. Uh, we just need to get out there early when they start coming into your community. Keep an eye out for them because, you know, they get in with the lawmakers who don't really know anything. Um, and then, you know, they change hearts and minds. Uh, the lawmakers don't know who else to listen to. You need to get out there and speak up for yourselves early.
0: Follow the money. Yeah. Yeah. Politicians remember two kinds of people, those that come early on and those that come on strong. And if you're neither of those, they'll never fucking remember you. Amen both of them are coming up
3: next he's an award-winning journalist with a multicultural background in fifth generation california known as a freedom fighting farmer's friend this writer brand consultant event promoter and content ninja does it all in the name of uncovering the international truths the lamestream media does not want you to see eric hislereta what you got for us today my man
8: thank you dope d i appreciate that um so, hey, everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from Forbes, and it's Latin-owned Umo on creating a culturally authentic cannabis brand. In case you're wondering, Umo means smoke in Spanish. The article opens like this. A new brand has entered the chat and is focused on the Latino consumer and their intrinsic part of modern cannabis culture. Uh, the piece is done Q&A style with one of the brand's co-owners, Susie Placencia, who is also the co-founder of Mota Glass, Founded a grassroots organization called Latinas in Cannabis and a former journalist. Um, I'm going to pull some of her more salient quotes. um, But anyway, I just think it's great to hear from a Latina in the biz, which doesn't happen often enough. I'm quoting here, Latinos have been in the industry for decades. We've been here as growers, bud tenders, managers, but we've never gotten the representation we've deserved. You don't see Latino culture represented on shelves. Latinos hold a ton of buying power right now. We're responsible for $1.7 trillion in buying power in the U.S. Our perceptions are changing in regards to our views on cannabis. Latinos are, one, are the ones pushing for legalization among our communities. What's happening, I think, is many Latinos are going to college, finding those careers we are passionate about. We're making more money, investing in brands that speak to us and speak to our demographic. Um, Here's her talking about one of her company's first drops. It's a strain called Pulque. Uh, Pulque is named after the Aztec drink of the gods. It's over 2,000 years old. It's a Mexican kombucha-style drink. This strain is a cross between GMO Cookies and Legends OG. When I sampled it, wow, it packs a punch. It was really strong. When I read uh, more about it and experienced it, I thought, this is Pulque. It wakes you up. It's our highest testing strain. When people smoke these, they have been learning about their own Latino culture. That has been impactful for me. The names of our strains have a dual purpose. You get a glimpse of what cannabis means to Latino culture. The writer then asks an important question about what's missing from representation in cannabis culture, and Susie answers, My passion is providing dream cannabis jobs for people of color, for women of color. Through Umo and and Glass, we want to help repair the war on drugs through action. Action means creating more jobs. Normalization and true acceptance is coming over time, but through career opportunities is how it's going to happen the most. Careers are the way in to normalize it and accept it. My grandmother was so proud seeing her face when I got to show her the front page of the LA Times. I was like, I have a career in this. That's, what, uh, that's all they want for us. Canvas did this for me. Through UMO, this is how we're creating change. We are supporting farmers up in Salinas through greenhouse growing, allowing for year-round grows, um, a year-round crew, uh, career opportunities for local farm workers. It aligns with much that I believe in. So I'm going to wrap this up with a quote from Susie about her work with the Social Impact Center as UMO is donating a portion of their profits to the center. They're leading with education and we're excited to support their mission. They specialize in education in cannabis, including bilingual education. That's so important for legalization and for destigmatization, to have an organization that focuses on education first, because this is the key to starting the repair in our community. One of the things that I was really drawn to is the fact they put on expungement clinics. Expungement clinics are key when we talk about doing meaningful work in the community and repairing the war on drugs. It starts with meaningful action. It often starts with a job. They don't want a handout, they want a job to be able to earn it themselves. Because of over-criminalization targeted towards people of color, many people of color are unable to get meaningful job opportunities because of their record. We are starting with jobs first, empowering people to really take care of their family, Uh, careers in cannabis um, are part of that, of destigmatization, normalization, and also dignity. And I'll say amen to that, hermana. Um, That's what I got for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and gracias for having me up.
6: I love this story, Eric. Thank you so much for bringing it. And it sounds like they're actually a good brand. I would love to hear more about what you guys say or if anyone has tried any of this cannabis, but I love this whole story and idea.
4: I attended their launch party out here in LA. Um, It was really cool, and they did a really good job. They used Fairchild Events. And um, I mean, they also, like, I noticed a lot of people wearing the apparel. So I can see where the link with, like, cookies and stuff where they're trying to, like, build, like, a lifestyle brand. Um, And I like the colors, like, black and red. And they also brought, like, a mariachi band. Like, they were really trying to keep it to the culture, which is really cool. Um, And their stuff is good. I mean, they did a really good job.
8: Oh, that's cool to hear, Shalina. I really... Yeah, and I know she referenced in the article a couple of times, uh, cookies, so I know she's trying to sort of emulate what they've achieved. over there.
3: I gotta check it out, man. I'm mad I missed the launch party. So big ups to them, and I wish them the best of luck. All right, so, um... This feisty redhead conservative proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by pot-loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insiders come to the stage next, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today?
4: Well, good afternoon, Rico. Those pot-loving libs may get their day on the House floor next week. Uh, My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment, and the headline is Federal Marijuana Legalization Bill May Receive House Floor Vote Next Week. Sources say Uh, a bill to federally legalize marijuana may be coming up for another House floor vote uh, next week. A congressional staffer and a key advocate familiar with the discussions told Marijuana Moment yesterday, Uh, but they emphasize that nothing is yet set in stone. Um, They are trying to bring up the MORE Act again, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, uh, which is sponsored by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler uh, for a vote to the floor. Uh, Marijuana Moment did reach out to uh, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer um, and Nadler for comment, but neither of them uh, made any comment on this rumor. Um, I'm hearing from my inside sources in Washington uh, that they do expect the MORE Act to come up for a vote. Um, If any of y'all recall, about a month or so ago, a group of advocates uh, did send um, a letter urging them to bring the MORE Act back up for a vote. We will see if this is good or bad. Frankly, I'm a little nervous about this thing coming up for a vote because I'm concerned it's not going to pass. Um, And I think that sends a message around the world that we're not ready for cannabis. Um, The MORE Act, for those who don't recall, uh, it would deschedule. It would also um, impose a a 5% uh, retail sales tax uh, that goes up to 8% over a couple years. Um, it creates the Office of Cannabis Justice to oversee social equity provisions. Um, it would uh, ensure that the feds can't discriminate against people for cannabis use. Um, it would open the doors for better banking and tax laws and things of that nature. That comes from the descheduling, not an actual effort like safe banking. But it's better than safe banking because it deschedules. So it's all intermingled. Um, and it would also retroactively... Um, expunge cannabis arrests and convictions on the federal level. Re- remember, that's important federal level. Um, for those who remember the Moore Act passing before, it passed during a lame duck session, um, which means anybody heading out of town who doesn't care about shit anymore votes yes on things. Um, and with that being the case, it only passed by 10 votes. So for this to come up for a vote during time, during an election year, um, I think we're going to be hard-pressed to see the votes to pass this thing. If it were to pass, maybe it passes by three or four votes. And if it does, I can guarantee you that Chuck Schumer will not bring it up for a vote on the Senate floor because he is not going to have worked on something of his own for two years and have something else beat him to the punch. There's no way Chuck Schumer lets us come to a vote, and it's going to be for nothing. This is Gretchen from State of Cannabis News Hour.
0: Gretchen, I could not agree with you more on this. If the Democrats do not have the votes uh, for for this uh, for this measure to, to pass, uh, I, I, I hope and pray that they would not let it go up for a vote. Because I totally agree with you. If it does not, if they put it up for a vote and it does not pass, it just shows the utter dysfunction
8: in the cannabis industry and makes us look politically unastute even more. Yeah. It will Jay- pass. It Jason. will pass. And I'm I sorry. love that it's coming to the floor because it makes people, let's see who supports and doesn't support. The more Act does everything. It does everything we talk about. And if you can't support it, get out of the way. They, I, I mean, are, this is, the, I agree.
4: The with itch, you that I'm the Moore glad Act it's coming to the floor. We need to see who's
8: in and who's out.
4: Well, this is not we a time have to done see that. who's in or out. Election years are a terrible time to see who's in or out because that's when most people are going to be out. Because who votes in election years? old-ass white people who and are young are people who want, want to see
8: legal weed it's young time to, it's no bullshit young
0: people, not
8: bernie that bernie's base is old people and, and young bernie's people. not running okay yeah bernie well, bernie came more, from come jason on, beck man.
3: ridiculous you you may you may hope and you may pray that you will but today is still just a bill
4: one one more just actual logistics thing we have not seen anything out of the rules committee yes who would decide whether or not this comes for a vote? They have not put anything up yet. And we do know Nancy Pelosi only likes bills that pass. So, like Jason says, if she doesn't think it's going to pass, I don't think she brings it up.
8: It passed once, it's percent. again. It passed That's once, it's going to pass again.
0: I will say this, Eric. I do think that it will get the votes to pass, and the majority of that is because there's going to be so many Democrats that lose their seats in this House
8: election. Yeah, elections. this isn't a normal right. midterm, man. Don't count on it. We are we're we at time, Gretchen.
3: Rico, can final I ask word. Eric one question? No, no, you, no questions. Final word. We
4: the final word. My final word is a question to Eric. You don't think it makes a difference that this passed during a lame duck session versus an election year? You don't think that makes a difference at all?
8: We, it, had, it had overwhelming Democratic support. It was only Republicans. So let's let the Republicans go on record that they don't support it. I'd love to see that.
4: Okay. I don't, I don't okay time, well, we, are
3: we are at time. We, we got to catch votes. your mic. We got to catch ten your mic. Uh, up next. Ten
4: votes. Mute me. Up next. Mute me, Rico. Ten votes. It's not going to get that ten votes.
3: All right. Up next, he's a blunt blowing Fresno based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip your hood past for even acknowledging. Here to challenge the narrative is Governor himself. Nicholas Wildstar, what you got? you damn right about that, Rico.
7: Hello, hello to you, State of Cannabis crew. Marijuana used by athletes has always caught a bad rap, but now more and more are stepping up to talk about the benefits they've experienced while being on weed and involved in sports. Former pro football player Ricky Williams did an interview recently with Yahoo Sports where he spoke on how he was treated by the NFL for putting down the ball and picking up the pipe. Many of you may not remember, as I do, when Ricky Williams was drafted to the NFL in 1999. There was tons of hype around his performance on the college football field and how whatever team he would end up playing for was destined to win the Super Bowl because of him. He held over 40 NCAA records, was an All-American team member, and had just won the Heisman Trophy just before being selected as a first-round draft pick. The San Diego native and hometown high school football star had finally made it to the big time, so there were many expectations of him. But instead of being the flashy and in-your-face type, Ricky was the complete opposite by often being very reserved and soft-spoken. Dealing with the incredible pressure for major fame and success is no surprise, but what was shocking was his retirement from pro football after only five years of going pro. Having tested positive for marijuana multiple times and facing fines of nearly $1 million, Williams decided to hang up his cleats for good in 2005. When asked about his marijuana use, Ricky cited that he was using marijuana to treat his social anxiety, a disorder which he was later diagnosed with. Back when I played over 20 years ago, I had a conversation on Fox Sports about struggling with social anxiety disorder, and back then people were blown away, said Williams, and his kind is still kind of taboo for our hero sports stars to have mental health issues. We're allowed to have broken arms and physical issues. And so when we think about what is allowed, it's more comfortable to talk about how cannabis can be helpful for the physical stuff. But from my experience, physical pain sucks, but it doesn't come anywhere close to mental and emotional pain. So yes, cannabis did help me not have to take so many pain pills but for uh, but for me, the greatest relief I got was getting my mind right. Williams has started his own cannabis lifestyle brand called Heisman, uh, spelled H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. When asked about catching slack for his weed use then and now, Ricky responded by saying the world is less crazy and I think we can appreciate that. But I'm at a point now where I'm more interested in being part of the world becoming less crazy and that was the impetus for starting Heisman. We are gonna start to allow that, uh, when are we gonna start to allow what we know from our experiences in life to be more valuable than other people's bullshit? Our tagline is spark greatness, but then I realized you can't be great if if you're caring too much about what other people think and you're trusting your own heart. It's about encouraging people to be great and reminding people that you can't be great unless you're willing to trust your heart And for me, cannabis helped me contact my heart and I learned to trust it. I agree with Ricky and think everyone could benefit from trusting their heart right now, but first we must get in contact with it cannabis can help with navigation. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. the Governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace.
1: Thank you so much, Governor. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to to know. A big thank you to Rico for co-producing the show, and to our new pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
0: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
4: Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, Rico.